Audio 25, 2019. I just signed my rent check and I signed 2019. Isn't that always kind of a magical moment the first time you write 2000 or whatever it is? 19? 1985 at one point was a magical moment because for 365 days it had been 1994. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed today and it's really windy and rainy outside here in San Francisco, California, which is still where I live. And I was stressing about a lot of stuff laying there, like hearing the wind and the rain. And I was thinking a lot about where I got to play some gigs, man. I got to get some gigs here. I got to get some cash rolling in. Got to get some cash rolling in. It's such a funny thing, the way you have to think three months and four months and five months and a year ahead of where you are in the present moment to make sure you have money coming in at those times. And, you know, I was really busy this fall touring, and then I did this residency where I recorded a bunch of new stuff. More on that later. And, and uh, I always knew that January was going to be like this, and February is kind of going to be like this, too. And then I got stuff coming up in March, but then it comes, and it gets a little... It just feels, you know, it feels better when there's money coming in. feels better when there's some cash. You know, you go to Trader Joe's. First of all, you go to Trader Joe's, and if you have become aware of our use of plastic being a problem, Trader Joe's is not doing well in that department. There is plastic. Everything is wrapped in plastic. And I, plastic. At this point, I mean, I guess we're not even really recycling. We're just sending it to China or Oregon or something. But even the stuff we're pretending to recycle, I don't think you can recycle plastic. All this plastic that things are wrapped in, like the kale's wrapped in plastic, plastic. and the spinach is wrapped in plastic. Wrapped in plastic. I mean, I get all this plastic straw stuff, but isn't every package of Doritos wrapped plastic. in a thing that cannot be recycled? But I'm thinking all I'm just that. Thinking I'm feeling about all it all. that. I'm thinking maybe I'll burn some sage or something. A friend of mine passed away, and I'm going down to that funeral where I'll see a bunch of wonderful, long-time, lifetime friends. It and is just a cause for so much reflection. And memories. All these memories. And what do these memories mean and these moments mean? And all the things that that person said to you and all the moments you had with that particular person resonate throughout the days and weeks following that. It's really, it's a real internal experience. So it would be nice to go to the celebration and turn that into external expression and to share that with other people. So all this is going on in my head. One way or another. And I open up my blinds here and there's a tent that has been placed on the street outside my place. Overnight at at some point when I close the blinds, but it's there now. And there's pants that have been hung up on the fence there ostensibly to dry, probably because the person got caught in the rain, but they're on the fence, so they're probably getting wet from the rain that is continuing. And I'm just looking at this tent, and I'm looking at how windy and rainy and cold it is out there, and how it's a new year, and everyone's posting all the new year. And this person is living in a tent. And it's a cause to reflect on how fortunate, so lucky, so fortunate that we all are. 
all, I assume. I don't know. Maybe this is heard by uh, some people who live in tents. I don't know. Um, what goes through your mind when you enter this space? What do you? Oh, you're a place. Yeah. What do you see <laughs> when you come into this studio? What does your mind think? Complete honesty. There's no wrong answers here. Uh, well, today, you know, I don't come in here a lot. I haven't been in here many times. I really do think that the last time I was here is when I helped you move over into this place from the other room. Um. But yeah, even then you put, there's like a, there's a smile on your face. Like, what is... Well, it's just funny to say, to give the audience a sense for that it's a room that I'm talking about. It's like, because you said, what do you think of this place? They could be like, oh, the two-bedroom apartment that he lives right, in. Right, or but like, I said, like beautiful when we moved over Malibu. from the other room. Yeah. <laughs> that was your last place. Um, I, They're imagining that it's like a, a beautiful bungalow in Malibu. Yes. I'm a very successful songwriter. Well, this is now your second living space that you rent. But I just feel comfortable when I walk in here. The other room that I lived in for? Yeah, the the loft. Yeah, the loft. The loft. The loft was 70 square feet for those listening. And I lived in that illegally for four years. But I was gone a lot touring, and it was an itinerant lifestyle so it was like a crash pad when i came back but again again when i say that you laugh you smile you, well, do you just look at me and think what a fool he he no, is just a total absolutely not okay no i'm just real happy to be with you and that's that's why i'm smiling well, you are smiling and, um i mean there's plenty of things you say to, to your wife about. you say to your wife this guy's a goddamn i feel disaster. like you have a lot of something for dummies books up on those shelves no i don't have okay any. okay it just seems like it about? note editorial here i do not own any for dummies books i hate the concept of those books why would anybody think of themselves as a dummy and then buy a book for themselves with the identity of being a dummy i don't own any of those books and the fly strip is always just a pleasure to see hanging in any space <laughs> i mean i'm used to it being in like storage space where there's food and things just over well that's over the kitchen time. area over that there. is the kitchen that is the the, the hot plate that's left over from... which you mentioned as my options for eating you said i have snacks and a hot plate <laughs> um, which see I you're doing imagine. it you're laughing so you're judging me as a failure well, no, i'm digging into what you want me to dig into yeah none of this stuff came up for me when i walked in here okay and i knew about all these bits already yeah today i walked in and after the couple things you said about moving piles and not really cleaning up for me i walked in and thought it's far cleaner than i expected it would be great and comparatively to the your last place of residence in the building it's always maintained less clutter it seems well yeah i mean it's hard to fit into 70 square feet well yeah but how much did you uh throw out after that move you mean like the newspapers that i was yeah things like that future collages lots of stuff you really helped me out that this is my friend ned buskirk ned is the founder of you're going to die a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying and inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. Ned says, we are all going to die. 
Let's creatively explore that shared inevitability to deepen and inspire our experience of being alive. Ned is one of the most inspirational people I know. It has really been a joy to become his friend over the years. And this audio is going to be longer than most audiodes. Audiodes are usually around 22 minutes, but there was a lot to talk about, and I edited a lot out. And let's get to it. Your work on death, the idea of death. There's been a lot of ending and death in this month for me mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. And I thought you'd be a really good person to talk to about that. And I think people can hopefully get something out of our discussion. But one thing I'm trying to process is the death of this chapter, mm-hmm. the death of this era. Mm-hmm and this version of myself. That was one in that tiny room. I mean, I think about that with golden sunbeams of nostalgia Mm -hmm. when I think about the time there. Mm -hmm. I washed ashore in that room in June of 2012, barely breathing. Mm. (laughs) I remember the first day I went in there and I closed the door and it was silent. I was like, this is my space. No one's gonna come in here. And I can take it from here, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. Yeah. And so letting that go feels scary or... Letting go... So you're connecting even this space to that memory. I'm just connecting this whole... Yeah, Yeah, the whole building, really. Me... (laughs) (laughs) Well, me by myself. Yes. Autonomous, independent. Yeah, that's something to grieve. Living like a... You smile. Again. Well, yeah. I mean, I just feel that way, though. I mean, it is. I just, it is something to grieve, yeah, right? Totally. It's not okay. You're not mocking. Like, no, 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 no. In fact, you're grieving a loss leaving this place. I never had that. I've had roommates all the way through till I met Sarah, and so you know, it's a precious thing to be able to. I wanted to live in this city like that. I wanted to move here, and got to. But ideally, and I've been honest with Sarah about it. Ideally, it would have been one a place like this. I mean, I feel that way about you being here, knowing you here, and and feeling envious of of the, this kind of level of privacy. Right. You know that when you come here, you you completely can escape. Yeah. I and mean, this, still, yeah. To now, now, like you said, even with this week, people don't knock on my door i mean people right. i've never i am even in that a, more, right yeah no no one comes in here and that this is no one i don't go into anyone else's mm. it's this collection of studio spaces rooms that are sacred safe havens i've been thinking a lot about this strangely enough very lately a lot just coming home and having the kids and how little privacy there is with three roommates and really the kids are just suddenly just roommates in your space yeah yeah. and so when you joke with me about the earbuds in at night watching my shows and my little in the dark as much as it is about me making sure i'm not too loud to wake anybody it is incredibly precious to me that time in in a way that i'm addicted to which is the wild part about this you've totally outgrown this space as much as you love it and want to hold on to it and need to find other versions of it you also get to move on from that growth is a big part of it if i stay in here i have grown a tremendous amount in the time that i've been here i grew in that small place i grew more here 
But I do feel like it's getting to a point where it's like, okay, I think, I think there's more growth to happen. Well, yeah, also different. How much can I grow as a as a person by myself? Well, I will tell you that I I there's really close people that I know well and are like really very near to my life that have been alone in their spaces and likely will keep being alone and it seems glaringly obvious the limitations of that reality wow. in terms of sort of you know I mean the kinds of things you need to help you you maybe end up being held accountable for that you wouldn't be held accountable for by yourself loosen or release is the Latin for resolution. Loosen or release. Loosen or release. That makes me think of my friend Shane, who always tells me, ease the sheets. Ease the sheets. Embattled internally. Ease the sheets. Ease the sheets. Which means... On a sailboat, if the sheets are too tight and you're too firmly forcing the sailboat in a certain direction, it can break the sails or break the staff of the sailboat. Or whatever, I don't exactly know how sailboats work, but if you ease the sheets, if you just loosen them up and let them flow, let that wind roll, loosen or release, you just end up somewhere. Let it go, man. All comes back to the old let go. Hmm. I love being on the audio audio because I love the... Um, I love the... I don't want to. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think what you want to say is sonic landscape. <laughs> well, that's those words I would get to. I love the God. What is it? The form. What is it when you say like this? I love the medium. I love the medium of the podcast, and I love you doing it because of the sonic lounge. <laughs> sonic. Okay, sonic. Sonic loudscapes. The sonic landscapes that you create. Do you enjoy the sonic landscapes that I create? Then consider supporting Audiodes at patreon.com slash audiodes. Let me read you this. Um, I want to read you this poem, but I guess Tony Hoagland is how you say this guy's name. He died in October 23rd of last year, 2018. And I can gather from, I think I'm right in gathering from the writing that he died of cancer, but I could be, I could be wrong about that. But anyway, check, check this poem out. I was thinking about this, my friend Chuck died, and this first stanza is, I think, a little bit what we're talking about, like ending chapters. Hearing that old phrase, a good death, which I still don't exactly understand, I've decided I've already had so many, I don't need another. Though before I go, I wish to offer some revisions to the existing vocabulary. Let us decline the pretense of the hyperfactual, the myocardinal infarction, the arterial embolism, the post-operative complication. Mm. Let us forego the euphemistic, the passed away and shuffled off this mortal coil as worn out and passive as an old dildo. (laughs) Now, if poetry can help, 
I love that line so much. If poetry can help, it's time to say, she fell from her trapeze at 2 a.m. in the midst of a triple backflip in front of her favorite witnesses. Let us say, in broad daylight, Ms. Abigail Miller conducted her daring escape before life, that crook, had completely picked her pocket. <laughs> it is not too late for some hero to appear and volunteer in the name of setting an example. Let us say he flew with abandon and a joyous expression on his face, like a gust of wind or a man in a necktie from the last dinner party he would ever have to attend. <laughs> To say he was the egg that elected to break for the greater cause of the omelet, the good piece of wood that leapt into the fire. Though grudgingly at first, he fell like the rain with his eyes wide open, willing to change. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that just beautiful? Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I can't get enough of that poem. Mm. I love it. When did you read that? Before Chuck died. Mm -hmm. I read it before he died, but it was known that he was not doing well. Mm -hmm. So he had throat cancer. He was in his 70s. His wife died a couple of years ago. He could have had them cut out the thin, yeah. and he'd be alive today. Mm -hmm. But he also would have had a feeding tube and a, one of those things that have to push he'd have to like, learn how to mm -hmm. speak again and he just wasn't into it and I uh, it kind of was like it was getting better then it started to come back again and mm. so then they like really zapped him real hard and they went too far yeah and Jeez. he's and they just yeah it, they went too far and he just wasn't able to recover and it went downhill pretty fast were you talking to him no so that Part of my processing around it has to do with that. Both my grandfather let me know through my mom that he didn't want me to visit him at the hospital when he was in his final stages of leukemia because he didn't want me to remember him that way. And Chuck, I went down to L.A. when some friends were visiting him a couple months ago and it, they had just kind of let me know that it might be time to come because they put the port, you know the port mm -hmm. that they put in? to really administer the, mm -hmm. the stuff. So it was like the last time that they put the port in on his wife, it was like kind of close to the end. So maybe now's the time to come. Mm -hmm. And we had this like wonderful, hilarious hang the last day. When was that? November. Maybe? So very recently. Yeah. What was hilarious about it? <laughs> what was hilarious <laughs> about it was he lived up at this house in Burbank, way up on the hill. So I took the train to downtown Burbank and was walking up the hill. And I got him on the phone and he's like, I'll just come down and pick you up. Mm -hmm. And so I just see him, he drives so fast, driving, like cruising <laughs> yeah. down the thing. And I'm like right there and he like blazes right past me. Yeah. And I thought, wow, he's so out of it that he can't. He didn't see me. Yeah. You know, I was like really had this like moment of sadness. <laughs> yeah. And then he just backs up laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pointing at me. Totally. Like, he's totally aware yeah, like fucking with me. Which is also his thing. Yeah. And we had this great thing and he dropped me off at the Burbank mm. Airport and I hugged him mm -hmm. and it was it wasn't like goodbye, but it was like a nice moment. And then when I found out he was sick and he was going into hospice, 
one of my friends who is close to him said that he's really weak and it's it's kind of hard to coordinate the phone calls and also like he loves you very much and he wants you to remember him oh really yeah hmm. and so but I also felt like as the he died on Christmas Eve in those days leading up to Christmas Eve I kept being like I should call I should call Chuck but I was like but no I, I get what he said like we had a good final you know mm-hmm. what I mean mm-hmm. and then uh, when I got the text that he died it was there was this moment of like oh, I didn't you know mm-hmm. is that something that you are familiar with in your work is that like a place that people come to when they're dying they just kind of say okay I'm on my own now or something yeah I mean it comes up a lot not just in having done the work and all the readings and my own fixation and fascination with death and dying stuff, literature and documentaries and all that, but all the hospice volunteering, the theme of there being a switch where your world gets smaller and smaller, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I don't like talking on the phone now. I know. I can't imagine I'm going to want to be having a lot of phone conversations when I'm at the end of my life. What else would you have said? I, I, I said everything I needed to say. I, yeah, I, I really did say everything I needed to say yeah. to Chuck. I, it just would be nice to say it again. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I want to yeah. just hammer down a couple of these <laughs> yeah. points. So I want to get you on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I want to cover I, the strong things that came up that I just, I want to reiterate them. Yeah, like if I had one more chance, you know. I mean, Chuck, Chuck was a big deal, and Holly, his wife, were a big deal in my young life because... They were the first adults I met who saw themselves as artists. Mm-hmm. But God, like, willing to change. Okay, so, like, also, if it weren't for Chuck and Holly, I never would have this space. They are the connection to this space. Oh, you moved up here because they had someone, they had a contact. The guy that is the master tenant at this art space Still. is there. They went to experimental film school. Wow in San Francisco in the 70s. So you told them you wanted to move to San Francisco or thinking about this said, well, we know a guy who has a place where you maybe could get was, a spot to stay. I was leaving. I was like stopping by their house to say goodbye. Wow. And I was, and they're like, where are you living? And I was like, I think I got a place in West Oakland. I had a friend that had a spot in West Oakland. Yeah. And they both, I forget who came up with the idea, but one of them was like, should see if there's any room up at the wow that's crazy it's it is crazy so it's very connected extremely i mean connected. just it all happening in a month is a lot but and then that it would be dying and then maybe this is dying mm-hmm. at the same time and it's like a connection to that part of my life that is also dying mm-hmm. because this is the end of that thread mm-hmm. i guess it spiritually lives on inside me or something but the <laughs> That's getting just a little, roll his eyes. Yeah, I just t- want to make sure the audience knows. <laughs> yeah. um, the tangible you, reality of it is like these walls, this safe haven, this yes. sanctuary was given to me by them. Yes. Well, yeah, I understand. Yeah, and that it would end, that it's coming to an end, and it's a wild thing to know there's a connection, that there's a through line, and that that there maybe still will be that you'll see it later, more whatever. But I understand it's all coming to an end. And, or it's um, not. Maybe I keep it somehow. Yeah, right? sure. But why? Letting go. Why do we hold on to things? How do you know when you can let go of something? How do you know when you hold on to it? This is significant, too. I feel like since we've known each other and you've known my work, that you've always thrown disclaimers out anytime you've been at a show or part of a show sharing music. 
that you haven't really gone through much loss. And this feels probably even more so than your grandpa, I'm just guessing, a little more personal, a little more intimate, you know? That's true. I didn't think of that, but that is something that I always feel at your events. Yeah. And, and say. Yes. Often. This is, I just went to a funeral. I was a pallbearer. I carried oh, yeah. him. I carried it mm-hmm. with my friends into a big hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. And they put Not, it way down in there, further than you think they do. Yeah. And you see the earth. Mm-hmm. What a weird species we are that we like, you know, like, so you put him in the, the, so there he is all made up in the coffin, but you know he doesn't really look like that, but whatever. And they put the little figurines around him and stuff. He had all of us 3D scanned. No way. So he could be in the coffin No way. Yeah. I would be bawling if that was something I witnessed, that someone went to that those lengths. Yeah. Wow. So there's a little you in the ground in, in that cemetery. Yeah. It also seems, because you care about him and have this personal relationship with him, and so I am right about that. With your grandpa, it's more like, it's your grandpa, and and so many of us have that version of loss, you know? Right, it's this yeah, kind of like right, yeah, good point. Old, and, you know, and I kind of remember this, and I was this, you know, this whole, how old were you when your grandpa died? No, it was high school. Yeah. Um, and then also, I feel like with Chuck, it's Chuck, yeah. that it's so reflective of you, you know, because you were drawn to him because he was an adult artist and and so close to home in, in the way you describe him to be like how I talk about you to a friend of mine, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like your artistry, your creative expression, your uniqueness of showing up in the world. I hear hear that little connection must must be kind of wild. Yeah. To have him be so a part of all your history and be like a future version of you in some way. This is some extension of your existence in a way. That's really astute. I think you're right. I think like a grandpa dying, it's like, well, yeah, your grandpa dies. But Chuck, and it's your grandpa, so it's you're going to have a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Chuck is a friend that I made in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who taught me how to play chess mm-hmm. and loved it when I played the piano at his house. <laughs> uh, hearing that old phrase, a good death, which I still don't exactly understand, mm-hmm. I've decided I've already had so many, mm-hmm. I don't need another. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking about how many times I drove up to that house where Chuck lived, how many different versions of me engaged to someone, mm-hmm. then not engaged mm-hmm. to someone mm-hmm. or horribly depressed and homeless living itinerantly playing music on the road or visiting from San Francisco it's like th- entirely different versions of myself those are all deaths that are to be mourned yeah right and now don't you mourn when you're sitting in the dark with the earbuds because all the families there, do you ever think about before those two children were even created? Yeah. When you were with your roommates in L.A. And uh, you wonder, in those moments, do I think about that? Yeah. The death of that time? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, the concept of mourning is really... Like, I feel like that's kind of what's going on. It's like I'm mourning a chapter mm-hmm. and Chuck is a big part of that yeah grieving, grieving. Him, him knowing you in all those ways is such a significant loss 
Yeah. That's such a trips me out about losing us. Losing ourselves and someone's knowing of us. Though grudging at first, at first, he fell like the rain, like the rain, with his eyes wide open, willing to change. Willing to change. Okay, well, one more thing. So, in addition to only following Buddhism Daily on Instagram, I follow one not as good, honestly, Buddhism thing on Twitter. And this is the post they did on resolutions. Ditch the resolutions. To resolve means to find a solution to a problem. You are not a problem. The way you showed up for your life the past year was necessary for your growth growth mindset. Now is a time to reflect, to learn, to create an intention, a positive call to shift, a spark of magic and manifestation rooted in self-love and backed with action. Action again. Action. This is active. Resolve. Resolution is active, but also somehow loosen and release. And that somehow has to coexist with a reality where people are living in tents. My feeling about it is to just acknowledge that it's just uh, these hard parts of life are so much for all of us. And uh, not everybody gets through them. So it seems impossible to say how. But for me in those times, really being honest with myself enough to know when the time is right that I needed to get off the couch and go out, go outside. Yeah. Break me through, <laughs> you know, just break me through. I've been thinking that there's like a certain degree of momentum in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And that as I get closer to it, it's like this fear, whatever it is, the childishness not wanting to change, not willing to change, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like unwilling to change. Mm -hmm. I refuse. No, I've got this whole th I fucking bike to Trader Joe's. I know exactly what I get. I'm mm -hmm. in and out of there. I'm not going to change. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get off the couch. It feels like right now that that is not, that's kind of a bad call. Yeah, there's kind of got to go. It's like if you go up to skydive and you're the guy that just stays in the plane mm -hmm. and they bring you back down. Mm hmm. And there is a time when you should not jump. And, the, and the, I think the work in life is listening to ourselves and understanding and learning about ourselves enough to like know, like, I am not ready to get off the couch or I am not ready to jump. Okay, so, but that, so that's it, though. How do you know when... Well, you know, that's why when you say, what do you, what do you want to tell people? Part of the question mark around that is that it is that mystery for each of us to bring it all back to the couch and the living space i'm at odds with a, a wife and children who need me to or a wife that is asking that i get off the couch and go out into the world and simultaneously i'm trying to protect the child part of me that is clinging on to that those cushions and like can't yeah. can't can't go is not ready to go mm -hmm. that we're able to do the work to to be honest with ourselves so that when we know it's okay to let go that it's time and and how who else could possibly know that i mean when i hear that i think okay well then i'm not i'm not ready to take well i don't think that's what you think 
there's some voice in you that's louder that's saying, here's the shift right now. Like, I'm going. I'm, I mean, the reason why this this poem connects to you right now is because, it, I mean, the verse you re- refer to is the letting go, the drop. That's louder. You feeling the emotion you feel around this poem is louder than the, I'm just here. I'm staying here right now. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just you can don't just, see it. I don't see... I, yeah, I just, it feels safe. Uh, the couch? Yeah. Or, yeah it, it, the it, proverbial couch. It feels couch. like yeah. safe in a way that it's like not safe in a protective way, but safe in a... Yeah, right. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Like like your parents' way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uncreated. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the answer right now is this idea... If I could go back to answer a question for anyone listening who's going through it or has been through it or will go through it or know someone else that's going through it, it is the letting go and the showing up, the willingness to be like, I just know that the fear that I have around this, how scared I am, is pointing to the thing that I have to do. And that that we take the risk because if we don't, then we withhold that from everybody. If we don't show up and we don't take the risk and put ourselves out there in the most terrifying ways the ways that make us feel so unsafe there's so much at stake it's like when I go and I sit with these cancer patients what I know I want them to understand is that they are going through what they're going through as an offering to people that are going to come and go through it too. Right, right. And how they go through it is that gift to them, the the people, you know, to all of us. And that if there's any reason for it, it's that. Because there's no, I, nothing else makes sense for me as to why we're here. So why would it not just be then worth saying that why we're here is because we're doing this for each other. That us jumping out of the plane is because it's an offering to everybody else. 